0: Welcome back to another episode of Been There Drank That. Very special guest today, former member of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Tom Mann. Great to have you on today.
1: Thanks, Joey. It's good to be here.
0: So, I've known you for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a, one of my professors in college, and I've learned two things in the two classes I showed up to before I dropped it. One, I wasn't going to pass comparative politics. <laughs> That's true. (laughs) (laughs) And the second one is you're kind of a grade-A badass.
1: Uh, I don't know about that, but you know.
0: So excited to talk to you about your life today. Let's start from the very beginning. Where did you grow up?
1: Born in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, spent my first couple, three years there. And then uh, my dad went to jail. So my mom and I, who had multiple sclerosis, went to Florida while my three older sisters were split up among family ended up back in Chicago for a short time, and then ended up in, I think, California. And Dad went back to jail, ended up in Michigan with an uncle. And then Dad got out of jail, and we went, I think, back to California, and then to Oregon, and Dad went to jail several times. And I ended up in foster care, and homeless, and all sorts of stuff. And then Dad got out of jail, and ended up back in Chicago. and uh, did that until they were going to get him on a uh, at midnight. They're coming for him. And we got a midnight flight and flew to Bend, Oregon in 1970, early 2, 5, something like that, where there was nothing in Bend because dad thought they'll never find me here. Took him about six months and they found him. And uh, so he went to jail again. And I was homeless, lived with on a couch uh, at my sister's place, and ended up back in foster care. And uh, uh, pretty much did high school in Beaverton at Sunset High School, and that's okay. kind of where I got stabilized.
0: So, what would you consider home then? After oh, you've crap. gone to all these places, know.
1: man, I guess Beaverton would be home.
0: Beaverton, would, yeah. where you got most of the schooling yeah, done.
1: Yeah, it's first time I was in school. F- like for more than one year continuously. At the same school? At the same school. That
0: had that had to be very tough, jumping back and forth between yeah, you, all the schools. You know, so. I couldn't read
1: or write. I got to the fourth grade, and they figured out I couldn't read or write and because uh, I bounced around so much. I never learned anything. They just kept passing me along, and I kept changing states. And so this was at Sylvan Middle School or a little, uh, I guess, elementary school or something. They said, this dude can't read. And uh, so they put me in special classes after school, and, and by the time they finished that year, I was reading and writing in a 10th grade level. Uh, from going from not being able to learn at all. So, so. so
0: this is fourth grade, fourth grade is when you learn yeah, how to read. To read. Yeah, right, yeah. Wow. So your dad kept going back to jail on, yeah. on what charges? And- he,
1: was a, he was a con man. And okay. So white-collar crime guy, hot checks, fake stocks, uh, just screwing people out of their money, not paying his bills. Uh, it was interesting because when he was out of jail – he would pretend like he had money and he'd get like diners club cards and these old credit cards in the seventies. And you know, we lived at the Playboy club. We lived on golf courses. We lived until they figured out he didn't have any money. And then we got kicked out and we were homeless. So we went from like opulence to nothing. Uh, being a, got kicked out of every apartment we ever lived in, no electricity, no food, just, just nothing. Um, so yeah, it was really an interesting life because one week you'd be eating filet mignon um, and having everything at your fingertips, the next week you'd be on a street going, "Gosh, I hope someone picks us up to live with them here."
0: Yeah, that's got to be a really tough uh, yeah. bouncing back and forth like yeah, it's that. That's crazy. So you settle down in Beaverton, you do yeah. high school in uh, in yeah. Beaverton, yeah. and what, what school do you then? Went to
1: Sunset High School.
0: Sunset High yeah. School. Go Apollos. Go Apollos. <laughs> <laughs> and then you you graduate high school, and then. Yep. I mean, how'd you do in high school? Were you... Uh...
1: You know, I kind of stabilized. Um, I would lived with this family before in the 70s, and so they found out I was kind of homeless and, and floating. They said they'd take me back in if I became a ward of the court again, which I did. So then in high school, uh, 3.56 GPA, I was uh, in the drum major of the marching band, I was in all the symphonic bands and stuff like that, the journalism program, was on yearbook. You know, you did all the things high school kids did, had friends, um, and was pretty normal Until I became an emancipated minor at 17 and went to go to college and then the wheels completely fell off. I didn't understand how damaged I was from all the abuse I'd suffered at home and in the foster care system and all that stuff. And then I was just a freaking dumpster fire.
0: Well, what happened there?
1: Uh, delayed onset post traumatic stress disorder yeah. and abandonment uh, syndrome issues, and you know all the different uh, maladies you have. It was very, very angry because when you're in the when you're in the system, you don't get to like share your emotions because they can do bad things to you. Yeah. So you just bottle it up, and bottle, keep it and and bottle it up, bottle it up. And then once once I was out, man, I exploded. <laughs> it was yeah. just it was just wasn't good. And uh, but back in 1982, no one knew about this stuff. You know, the only people that had PTSD were combat vets from Vietnam, and so. You just, you, I drank heavily, you know, self-medicate as much as possible to try to make it work, and uh, went to college, went to University of Missouri in Columbia, I joined a fraternity, Alpha Epsilon Pi, and made it a semester before the money ran out because my dad didn't pay the bills again, and I ended up coming home uh, to Oregon, and I worked for about nine months, and uh, went back to school at U of O, and uh, did that, and so yeah, it was just, I, but I was just not not good. I couldn't hold jobs, couldn't hold relationships, couldn't do anything because my post stress was just so bad. What, what you get with that is you get anger, trust issues, hypervigilance where you never feel safe. Um, you have flashbacks. You have dreams that are fairly violent, uh, just all sorts of different things. And you basically white-knuckle it. You know, you're 19, 20 years old. What do you know? Yeah. You and you, so you just white-knuckle don't really it. don't like know how an, to deal with it at yeah, that age. Yeah. So you just kind of suck it up and hope you get through it. Um, and, yeah, it took me a long time to get through it before I recognized, you know what, This isn't. this isn't normal.
0: Is there, there anything that like pushed you over the edge and it's like, well, you rec- know, it, to recognize it, it? it's
1: funny, you know, I'm a faith guy. And so what happened was I, I left college without my degree the first time because I had done everything I was supposed to do, finish my program, but my GPA was a little low as, as George Bush Jr. would say, I was a gentleman C student and, uh, cause I was, I was drinking too much and, and I was running a newspaper and I was doing karate. I was doing all stuff, everything but schoolwork. And, uh, So what happened was a series of really hard events took place. My mom died my junior year in a nursing home. I hadn't seen her in about three years, and that was pretty rough. Um, And I graduated, this girl I wanted to marry got smart and said no, and so that was good. Um, I joined the Army, and that was great. The Army was the best thing I ever did. I'm in the Army, my foster brother, from when I was in high school, he gets in a motorcycle accident and paralyzes himself. My grandmother killed herself because she was distraught after you know her daughter had passed and her husband had already passed. She just didn't feel like she had any, any hope left. Uh, and then I wake up one day and I've hurt my knees in the army and they're gonna kick me out of the army. And so it's like all of this stuff hits me at once. And I'm sitting in my barracks, and I'm like, I got to I gotta prove I can still soldier. This is crazy. So I go out to the track, and I'm going to run, which you – know, With I, a couple bad knees? A couple bad knees. So I got their knees wrapped. I've taken like 7,000 milligrams of Motrin, and uh, I'm trying to get around the track, and I think I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. And these two kind of large women pass me, and that was it, man. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it. So I go back to my barracks. I'm going to kill myself because I'm like, this is it. I'm done. I'm yeah. just done. So I pray out to God, and I say, okay, yeah, if you got a plan, you better show me because this yeah. is it. I'm done
0: feeling pretty useless and
1: that's when kind of jesus stepped in and said to me you know i've always tried to carry you but you never let me and i was like oh you're right (laughs) i've always tried to do this myself because my feeling about god in all the foster homes you end up in different religions so i was raised catholic i was raised baptist and foursquare and my dad's a jew but he was an atheist and i joined a jewish fraternity and you know it's kind of mixed up and my theology was god knocks you down you get back up you'll prove you're worthy and so that's what I believe, that God was just knocking me down and knocking me down and knocking me down. And I was like, you win. I'm done. And he's like, you got it wrong, son. And I was like, oh. So that really fundamentally changed everything, that that moment when I was 23 years old in a barracks in the Army about to off myself.
0: Is it—is this after you graduated college?
1: Well, see, I didn't graduate. Okay. So I got so through.
0: You, you got through. And I
1: went back to college after the Army.
0: Okay. And then how long were you in the Army for?
1: I was only in 15 months. I tore 15. up. Uh, both my knees, uh, my right knee cap cracked in half, and both the cartilages behind both my knees disintegrated, and my right shoulder was jank- yanked out of the socket, didn't heal right, because uh, I put it back in myself. Um, and uh, so so I was a kind of a walking mess. And yeah. then they said, yeah, arthritis is setting. And they did surgery on the right knee and said, yeah, we can't fix that. You're out.
0: So there there was no like major injury, didn't, you know, no war training. No, hurt. It was
1: no, just no playing basketball arthritis. And, and arthritis. And, yeah, just lucky guy. Yeah,
0: that's wow. It was short end of the stick yeah, there so with
1: the, the knees. It, it sucked because I loved being in the army. The army yeah. was, for me was a great place, greatest friends in the world, and uh, um, yeah, it was it was a good time. So it was really tragic that all these things kind of happened at once. But I think God planned that to kind of get me to a place where I was willing to submit. Yeah. Because you know in the army your body's everything. Being able to be physically able to you know withstand all that stuff, and when you lose that, wow. I mean, you're just nothing.
0: Yeah, it's got to be a big hit. I mean, you yeah. can't really con- contribute much in the Army if you uh, yeah. you don't got a good yeah, body. Soldier, and you're, you're right. all...
1: So this is a drinking show, right? Yes, this so is this a drinking is, this show. this is Mountain Dew?
0: Yep, we have Mountain Dews today. You're the only guest I've ever had that yeah. doesn't have beer or coffee. I know, Mountain Dew. I've never had a Mountain Dew before, so I'm pretty excited to try it.
1: You have been deprived your whole life. We'll see about that one. We're going to talk to your parents. Okay, there it is. What do you think of that?
0: It tastes like Sprite with more flavor.
1: Well, Sprite with okay, I'll buy that.
0: Yeah, I actually like that. This could be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have lived without that. Yeah, Sprite probably me. should have lived without that. No, that's
1: a good thing. Oh, uh, that's
0: that's refreshing. That's nice. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sounds like a Mountain Dew ad now. Yep. But yep. Uh, so you you get out of the army, mm-hmm. bad knees. You go back to school.
1: Yeah, so I, I got I got back to Oregon and, uh, again, was kind of homeless, you know, how, exactly where I started. No job, yeah. no place to live. I'm, I'm actually sleeping in a closet in a sister's house because small place and they had no for me, so I'm in the closet. And uh, I, I go to VA and they say, oh, yeah, you're a disabled vet now, so we'll send you back to school. Fantastic. So yeah. I was in the Army. I was a Russian linguist. I was at Defense Language Institute learning Russian. I was going to go be an interrogator because uh, I'm a people person. And... Uh, uh, so uh, this is during Soviet time, So I was my job was to in, interrogate Soviet prisoners of war. And so I went to U of o, to the Russian program, and I interviewed with them to see if I can come down there and finish a Russian degree. Because I had called CIA uh, and said, hey, do you need any Russian linguist types? And they said, yeah, finish your degree in Russian, and we'll, we'll hire you. It's like, fantastic. So I went back to school at U of O, and uh, I, had a, I had like 15 months of school to finish up to get my Russian degree because i had had so much schooling already in the army, plus all the stuff I had done there before. The strangest thing happened. Uh, God kind of gave me a do-over. I got to do some things and fix some things and you know try some things differently his way. And about halfway through this program, I get a letter from the journalism department. I had not even darkened their door. And the letter said, it was hilarious, My undergraduate advisor says, congratulations, Tom. You've earned your degree. You've raised your GPA enough. Um, You you are now have your journalism BA. And then a handwritten note said, it's about time, you asshole. (laughs) 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 I still, I love that. So I got my journalism degree. I'm about to get my Russian degree with a certificate in Eastern European studies. And the Cold War ends. Gorbachev quit. And I'm still pissed about it.
0: And you didn't you didn't see that one coming?
1: Nobody saw that one coming. Yeah. And uh, so next thing you know, the walls falling down. Everyone's happy, happy. And uh, CIA calls and says, "I don't we don't need more we, Russian yeah, language. We don't need you." So I'm like, "Oh crap!" So now what do we do? So I end up getting my degrees and then went in back into journalism. I had been a newspaper editor before, and I, I took a job in Silverton as the editor of the Silverton and Mount Angel News and the State and Mail. And I did that for a few years before getting into politics.
0: Okay, and then. Then you uh, got into politics.
1: So yeah. I quit my job at the newspaper. They got bought out by the Statesman Journal.
0: Okay. And you didn't want to work for the Statesman and I Journal?
1: I thought I did, but I learned quickly I didn't. And uh, I went back home to Chicago. I'd always wanted to write for the Chicago Tribune. That was my dream dream. And I interviewed with the, sh- with the Trib, and I said, yeah, we'll hire you, which was stunning to me. Like, I get to go home and work for the Trib. And I got a phone call at my hotel, and it was a state legislator by the name of Cedric Hayden. And he says, hey, I hear you're out of work. I'd like you to be to my campaign manager. I said, I've never done that. They said, don't worry, we'll teach you everything you need to know. Learn on the job. So I'm like, okay, do I go home to Chicago and uproot everything, or do I stay in Oregon and try this politics thing? And I tried the politics thing. I said, I can always go back and write. They'd hire me back. And so for the next 10 years, I ran political campaigns at the local, state, and federal level. I worked at the legislature as a legislative assistant, committee administrator, lobbyist, um, and was very, very engaged in Oregon politics for... 10 years, and what happened was that in the meantime, I decided I'd give this intelligence stuff one more shot. I was always pissed I'd never got through the army, and so I got a master's degree in strategic intelligence from the American Military University. Applied to all the agencies, I was about to age out, I was like 33, 34. You age out at 35, and uh, uh Defense Intelligence Agency calls me, We want to interview. You. Okay, do you want me to fly out? No, we'll do it on the phone. Okay, so you know, John, right on the spot. So, John yeah. Smith. Calls me, <laughs> not his real name, and uh, and it's funny. I met him later, and we do this phone interview for an hour. He says, "All right, uh, you'll get a call in so many weeks, and telling you when your start date is." I'm like, "That's the oddest thing." Now you don't really know these people. Well.
0: Any thought that this may be like a prank or something? No, I knew it was was the the agency, but
1: I thought this cannot be that easy. Yeah, You know, I've been applying to agencies for a long time. This cannot be that easy.
0: Our phone call and dreams come true. And
1: And so uh, what was strange was, no one, of course, knew 9-11 was coming. On the 12th of September, I was supposed to fly out to uh, England. And I was going to tour. We had toured the the British side of D-Day. We were going to go to France and see all the D-Day stuff in, in France for World War II stuff. And 9-11 happens, all our planes get canceled and stuff. Well, DIA says, we're gonna call you that week. I'm like, okay, th- that'll all be off because all of a sudden we're at war. That Friday, I got a call from DIA. You're hired, your security clearance is being processed. Um, you'll start as soon as the clearance goes through, uh, make plans to get moved. Next thing I know, uh, I, I think that was September. That was September. Uh, by March, I was in DC uh, working for the agency.
0: And uh, how long did you work for the, the agency? I, I love saying that, too. Yeah. The agency. The agency. That, that the sounds agency. really cool. Yeah, the agency. That sounds really cool. So what I
1: did there, uh, let me tell you what I did there. I was only there about uh, a little under three years. D.C. is a different planet, man. It's, yeah. It's... it's it's a different world. And so I got there, and I started out as what they call a regional desk officer. So my job was to manage worldwide human intelligence operations. And so what DIA does is it, it its main job there are, at the time, there are 151 defense attaché offices around the world. So in every embassy we have, there's a defense attaché. What they do is they coordinate with the other militaries of these other countries. Um, and they, they do some basic overt intelligence collection kind of stuff, reporting, basically. So we have offices in DIA that manage all the defense attaché offices. And so that was one of the jobs. My area, of course, is being Russian. We had the entire former Soviet Union. So... Russia, Moldova, Belarus, the Caucasus, all these different things. The other part of what we do, though, is we manage uh, human intelligence, uh, what we call controlled operations, which is what CIA does. You recruit people and have them collect information for you. And that's the part I wanted to do, and that's a smaller group. And so I managed uh, intelligence ops. And so we collected intelligence primarily in the former Soviet Union, but anything that had to do with Russians, I was responsible for all over the world. And so that was my first job. Then I got moved up uh, and I took a job in the, in the executive director's office doing strategic planning and kind of was the strategic planner for the agency uh, in his office helping kind of push out what are we gonna be needing in five, 10 years? What, you know, what is this intelligence stuff gonna look like? And this is all post 9-11, so we're trying to change how we're doing things because clearly 9-11 was a huge intelligence failure. And so we're changing you know, structure and policy and all these different things. Um, and then they, they convinced me, which was the downfall of my career to go to the Pentagon and work for the undersecretary, undersecretary of defense for intelligence. This was a new group that secretary Rumsfeld put together. He hated CIA. He wanted his own CIA in his office. So he created a new undersecretary and, and populated it with four divisions that was doing at the time they were doing drones. They were doing black ops. They were doing counterintelligence stuff, lots of stuff. So I ended up, being the executive assistant to one of the three-star generals um she was a civilian equivalent and so i did that for a while and and that that wasn't the greatest experience um so i I decided
0: uh, made it not the greatest experience the individual i worked for was just
1: a tough personality and uh uh i got to the point where i was so frustrated after about three and a half months working for this person. That I said, you know, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm done.
0: You're done with the I'm, agency I'm done. completely. I'm done.
1: I didn't plan to do it for the agency, but it just kind of worked itself out that way. And so I met with her, and it was funny because as soon as I told her I was quitting, she became the nicest person ever, and she gave me the best piece of advice I've ever had. She and what said, was that? She says, "Tom, people like you don't fit into places like this." I'm like, "Wow. What do you mean by that?" She says, "You're a private sector guy." And I said, "Yeah." She goes, you're a risk taker. Those of us that work in government don't like risk. We like status quo. You wanna rock the boat. We don't like that. And that's why you'll never fit in. And I thought about it and went, that's brilliant. That's exactly what I've been experiencing. All this pushback, all this stuff. I was hired to be a change agent, but that never happened. And so I realized in that moment, I could spend 30 years in DC. I could rise to the top levels of the agency and I'd never fix anything because the system is rigged not to fix itself. And that's why all these years later, after 9-11, you still have fights between CIA and everyone else in the industry. You still have stove piping, meaning they don't talk to each other. You still have communication issues. You still have intelligence failures like crazy. Um, FBI, CIA still hate each other. Uh, it, it's just the most fascinating fascinating, systematic, if you're into uh, operational management stuff, you're like, this, this is crazy. How, how do you make this work every day? but now I know, um, status quo, don't rock the boat. And so I, so I quit and went, yeah, that was a great experience. I think I'll come home.
0: <laughs> so the agency probably didn't go as well as your plan. Cause I assume that's a, that was a, a goal life, you had that was for a, life a, dream. a while and yep. then you reach that goal and then it doesn't live up to all the expectations you have set for it. I had a lot of
1: fun. I mean, yeah. I got to do a lot of cool stuff, which I can't talk about, but I would uh, tell you, I had this, I had this prayer with God and I said, uh, he says to me, now that I've let you do everything you've wanted to do, how about doing something for me? I was like, oh, crap. So when I came home, I went to seminary, and uh, uh, God was kind of calling me in to do ministry stuff. And I, I, I've, I kind of fought that. I got a job with the state doing stuff with the Oregon Department of Veterans Affairs and running all the veteran programs in the state. And I did that for about seven and a half years. But he just kept on calling me, calling me, calling me. I got involved in ministries in church. I'd been out of church for 25 years. I got back in the church, started doing ministries, started doing Bible studies, was was preaching every once in a while, was uh, uh, heavily engaged in seminary and all the stuff I was doing. And he had me write a book, I wrote a book. Thought, okay, I've done everything for God he wants. Now he said, quit your job. Um, Time to go into full-time ministry. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Because for me, my whole world was what I did for a living. You know, I'm just like everyone else, right? And he's like, "No, nah, you're not going to define yourself that way." I
2: was like, "Oh."
1: So I quit my job. This is the second job I quit. Now I worked, You know, I'd, you know, I'd work my way up. I was doing it pretty and well.
0: And you've been there seven
1: years. Seven and a half years. Yeah. And, uh, um, and yeah, I was like, okay. So I went into full time ministry. So I preach, I teach, I counsel, I write books, I uh, mentor young men, um, all sorts of different things.
0: How long have you been doing that now? Five years. Five years? Five years full-time. So you, you quit your job five years ago?
1: Yeah, about five years ago. Five and almost six. Yeah, almost six years ago.
0: Very cool. So you've just been doing that all from now. You obviously teach at the university yeah. in politics still. Yeah, and- so
1: I teach teach at the university in politics, political science. And then uh, I uh, mentor kids at South Salem High School. Uh, I get kids that are just really struggling for whatever reason, uh, dysfunctional family, whatever it might be. Uh, I also am starting a program there with the help of their principal to identify foster kids and help provide them life skills because a lot of them age out and they don't have the skill set because they don't have real families and they don't have any safety net i'm going to provide them some help um, getting ready to age out and get in the real world then i preach at samaka place in kaiser which is a women's shelter and we help mentor young we my wife actually does the mentoring there but i help mentor women there then i preach at restoration house which is a ugm transitional housing for ex-convicts where i do a bunch of mentoring with the guys there and uh, Uh, gosh, teach karate to at-risk youth and disadvantaged kids um, and then all sorts of stuff around the church that I do.
0: So you've just been doing it all now for the past five years. Uh, How many books do you have out?
1: Well, I got one out and then I've got two that are written. Uh, one is at the Defense Department right now getting checked to make sure I didn't spill the beans on anything. Uh, I, I signed a non-disclosure agreement, so if I write about anything dealing with intelligence, uh, I have to get a security review.
0: How much is uh, how much of the book talks about your intelligence today? Well, this is
1: what's funny about the book. It's it's uh, basically called An Intelligence Officer's Guide to Christian Evangelism, Recruiting for Jesus. And so what I do is I teach how to use human intelligence tradecraft to bump people to start conversations uh, about, about faith. So you're in the grocery line and the guy's in front of you, you gotta start a conversation out of nothing and get to Jesus, how you gonna do it? And you got 15 seconds. I teach how to do that stuff. In that book? Yeah.
0: And you go into your days then at the agency? Yeah. And then going back a little bit, Yeah, is there a story that you can tell me without having to kill me and break my computer about <laughs> something cool you did while you were there?
1: Uh, yeah, I suppose I can tell you this one. Um, we have there there's a concept called uh, where where the intelligence methods help each other out. So you can have uh, like human enabled signet or or whatever it might be. So one day I'm looking through the reports and I notice in a signals report that, one of the things we were trying to do after the Iraq war, after we invaded Iraq, was find the scientists. You know, We're looking for WMD, the scientists are the ones that probably created it, they know where it is, and we're looking for these guys. And so I'm a human guy, so I got guys on the ground searching, but I'm looking at the signals intelligence and I see a phone call between one of our targets and someone out of the country. He's trying to get out of the country. And uh, nobody was reading these intercepts to tie it into our human intelligence stuff. And so I make a phone call. We get some satellites on where we think the phone call is being made from. I get all my ops bosses in and say, "Look, uh, I got I got the signals intelligence saying he's here. I got the satellite intelligence saying he's here. Why don't you get a team to go get him?" And uh, they did. It was great. <laughs> we, we were pretty successful.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Now, the
1: other thing we did during the war, which was kind of, I mean, this was tactical. This is why it's important. So the 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 guard of uh, Saddam Hussein, the Fede Dean, they were the top like special force guys. They were using mosques and schools to hide in. And so of course we weren't bombing mosques and schools. Pretty right, smart on their you part. Don't, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, not a and good we, And we were able to determine uh, where some of the bad guys were at one point, and, and we were able to call Florida to CENTCOM. CENTCOM called Iraq, sent a unit in, in and wiped out a, a group that was hiding in one of the schools that we found out about. And so um yeah DIA is a a great organization love it to death it's government but um uh, I I think they do great work uh, on the military side of intelligence and uh, very very important work they do for all the commands
0: very cool sounds like you've lived a very cool life and now you you got these these things going on in five years now of Mm -hmm. mentoring kids preaching yeah what's been the most fun part about that most rewarding part of these last five years for you
1: I think watching the growth of these kids, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids grow up in hard circumstances and uh, if you can pour into them and you don't know when it's going to make a difference, but what I've been able to see now that it's been five, six years is you'll take a kid when he's 15 and pour into him and you think you're just not making a dent in this kid, right? <laughs> you know, But time they hit 2021 20, and, and you can see that the, the lessons you were teaching them are starting to come around and they're making better decisions and they're being successful. Um, and they thank you for it because they recognize uh, that you're doing it. That's that's pretty rewarding. Uh, the book that I wrote, God's using it in a very powerful way. I've, I've, I've had the book go out. Alcoholics have stopped drinking, and people have been healed of, of decades-long issues. And, and what's, the, what's the name of this book? That one's called Do You Want to Be Healed? Allowing God to Heal Brokenness in Your Life. It's kind of my story plus how God brought me through my kind of counsel with him. I always joke that Jesus was my therapist um, I spent about a year I was a security guard in college. So I was walking around 13 miles a night around the sawmill talking to Jesus, just like, okay, I'm a nut. What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> and, uh, got a lot of healing through that process. And, uh, so I wrote uh, a book about my experience, but the, the, the philosophy and methodology I use in my counseling, because I'm a firm believer that a lot of people who have problems that comes from their childhood development structure, if you ever study psychology, there's a guy named Erickson that said, between certain ages, there's certain childhood development pieces you get in your brain. If those get disrupted, it causes dysfunction as an adult because you learned them wrong. And so a lot of people who have had emotional, physical abuse, whatever it might be, uh, as a kid will exhibit all sorts of crazy stuff as an adult because they're broken in that part of their childhood development. And so that happened to me, obviously. And so when I was able to kind of discern, oh, okay, I didn't get this part or I didn't get that part, you can go back then and, and repair it and be halfway normal. And
0: this is what your book goes into? Yeah. And uh, where, where could you uh, find that book to uh, purchase? Oh, gosh,
1: just go to Amazon or anywhere else and yeah. They, yeah, look, look under my name. They all got it and they can find it. All right, yeah.
0: very cool, very cool. That should yeah. be an interesting read. I'll, I'll make sure yeah. to check it out. Great
1: bathroom stuff. You can just Put it in the bathroom. <laughs>
0: Just pick it up there? Just
1: pick it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a quick read. Used every word I knew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Well, uh, I'm not a big social media guy, but you do one of my all-time favorite things in social media, and it makes... All my Mondays better during football season. (laughs) Yes. It's your your top 10 of NFL Sunday. You give your top 10 takes of things that happened on the previous Sunday and then your opinion on who's going to win Monday night. And I love it. You're a diehard Chicago Bears fan. You suffered a nasty heartbreak last year. Just missed the kick. He's gone now. Double doink, boy. Double doink. He's gone. You don't have to worry about that. How are your Chicago Bears going to do this year?
1: you know defense wise they look really tough I like Pagano as the uh, as the defensive coordinator um, Mac and all the guys are saying he's he's outstanding um, what's impressive to me is if we're soft, it's in defensive backs, and that's Pagano's specialty. So I'm looking for uh, haha ha Dix and uh, uh, Prince um, uh, Makakuma, I think, whatever his name is, he's gonna be great. And some, so I'm looking for that on the offense. Th- th- it's gonna go or fail with Trubisky. And yeah, if he he's a, they say, flip. yeah, they're saying that he's gonna he's picked up a lot in terms of reading defenses. Um, so that'll be, be good. I love the nastiness of, of uh, Kyle Long, he's a former Duck, so we gotta love the Ducks. Uh, but he got a fight in, in training camp yesterday where he took a guy's helmet off and beat him with it. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah, that's Chicago Bear football right there. Don't beat your teammate, but yeah. um, but he's nasty, and so you need that on the offensive line. He's been hurt for the past couple of years, so you know we it, it could be good. People are saying, watch out for the Bears. They could be a dark horse for a Super Bowl. Do,
0: do you see that, or do you see some I do because else? of the defense. Okay. I do because of the defense. Are they your favorites to win right now? If you had $100 no, to bet, no, if I had $100 who are you to bet, taking?
1: I think, I think you can't root against the Patriots.
0: Really? You think and, they uh, go back and do it again? You no, know,
1: Father Time is going to be out there. He'll, they're always going to be in the hunt. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting with Mahomes. Does Mahomes have a slump? in this in his second year starting or not yeah, it it's always interesting easy. is that second year that
0: second year when you got that full-time starter yeah. job do you have that yeah. sophomore slump per se yeah. and or does he get
1: hurt running around yeah because people because people now know what he's going to do
0: yeah that running around yeah. doesn't seem to pay off too well for quarterbacks like eventually RG3, they catch three eventually they catch yeah him. they they get you yep. they get you Yep. And then you're also a Chicago Cubs fan. Yep, that was heartbreaking you, last night. suffered oh a little heartbreak. Gosh. Bryce Harper, walk-off grand slam. That was just, just – I and wanted to apologize for you to that. I just
1: was – that darn bullpen. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you Darvish, pitched a great game, and we're up two runs, and we, we got shelled the past two games beyond that. I think we lost by a total of 20 runs in the past two games. Uh, we're going to win this game, and a guy – do you see that pitch? just a meatball over the over the in right center in yep. and that, which is where he likes it and it was high and you, i don't think that ball's come down yet he no, crushed he, that thing
0: yeah and by the time this podcast is released it probably still hasn't come down either oh, yeah man. he uh, he demolished that
1: yeah uh, heartbreaking and and for the cubs who can't seem to win on the road save their life um they're not they can't win the division if they can't win on the road and they and they got swept by Phil philadelphia gosh Ugh. yeah that's, that, that, that's
0: a tough series do you think they squeak in the playoffs
1: I don't know. I mean I I get this feeling like the sixty nine Mets where we were ahead like ten games and the Mets caught us and took the division. Um, if the Cubs keep playing like they are, it's gonna it's gonna be Milwaukee. So we'll see. And then it'll probably be the New York Mets in the wild card, not us. Yeah, that we, we've gotta win on the road. And ugh, drives me crazy. Well October... That's why I drink Mountain Dew. That's why you drink Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. And Bang and all the other ones, just to keep my nerves. Is Mountain Dew the favorite? Uh, you know, I've been a Mountain Dew fan for how many decades it's been. Bang is my new favorite, though. There was a kid you played baseball with, named Tanner Marsh, um, who introduced me to Bang in a class one day. Because I was drinking Rockstars. I was always a Rockstar guy. And he's no, no, those are bad for you. I'm like, dude, you're drinking one, too. He said, no, no, Bang is good for you. So it's got CQ10 and it's got all this stuff. I'm like, all right, I'm in. And now I'm addicted like a heroin addict. And uh, every day got to have a bang, and then sometimes I have a Mountain Dew on top of it. And yeah, It's like Ritalin, though. It just calms me down. Yeah,
0: that's good. <laughs> that's good. All right, I think that'll wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us oh, today, Tom. It's great Tom. to see you, Joey. It's great to see you, too. And if you're interested, check out Tom's book on, uh, on Amazon. I think it will be a great read. He's a pretty good writer and uh, should be a good time. Good luck with everything else in the future.
2: Another. Yeah, yeah, yo, yo, this one's for the people, all the bees that bleed. to the bank and we only want to buy new shoes the way that we think we can do anything that we really want to put our minds to the american dream dream is a pyramid scheme scheme and it feels out of reach when it's hard and the times are tough but shame starts with us so yep, yep, we all want freedom yeah to be who we be i don't want to be afraid when i speak to say All gonna be okay. This was for all the y'all. I'm the same as all the y'all. I'm on my shit. I work real hard enough for every little bit that I get. But this is all I need. So sing this song with me. It goes like. So sound like this. Everybody start clapping hands. It's like, it's like. It's like. not about fame and, and fortune, it's about believing and believing in yourself and understanding that, that this life is, is life, it's, it's liberty and the pursuit of happiness and, and happiness isn't about getting what you want all the time, it's, it's about loving what you have, so get ready, it's a new day.